Well, again, welcome. We are, if you are just joining us, kind of halfway through a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I preached on this last week in the main service. If you guys weren't there for that, go back and listen to the podcast because it will change your life. Uh, I'm kidding. But it is. Last week's sermon was pretty important um, to my interpretation, I think our interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount, how we understand Jesus to be teaching himself to be the fulfillment of the law, that is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so if you didn't hear that, I really would encourage you sometime to go back and listen to it, because I think it'll help us help you understand better the rest of our series. Um, Okay, well, if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 6, we're finally out of chapter 5, and there was much rejoicing. Yay! Yay! Chapter 6, it's a big one. Okay, so when I was a sophomore in high school, near the end of my sophomore year, we had this big FCA picnic at a park, and we played volleyball and frisbee and had some burgers and dogs and everything else. But the culmination of the event was bringing in God's Titans. I don't know if you've ever seen a group like this. They're big, muscly guys, and they break handcuffs and rip phone books for Jesus, right? Um, and so what, one of the big events, they, one of these guys had this huge log. It was probably like, I don't know, six or eight feet long and like this big around, just a gigantic thing. And they had some handles cut out of it. And he, you know, yeah, and he, and he just pushed it up like, 50 times, you know, and after five, we're like, no, surely not, he can't do anymore, and then he just kept going and kept going, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, man, he's so strong, he's so great, right, and then, so, it was great, we loved him, we bought their yellow God's Titans t-shirts, and while we were small talking at the end with these guys and saying how great they were, there was a guy, he's a year older than me, Brett Ferris, he was a little smaller than I, um, he walked over, and he was just going to see how quickly his back would break by lifting up this log. And what happened? And one of the God's Titans looks over and sees him and says, Hey, hey, hey! Put that down! But the damage was done, and the ruse was over. These guys are what we typically think of when we think of the word hypocrisy or hypocrites, Right? They claimed to be about one thing, while what they actually were doing was another. They were doing something one way. So when we think about hypocrite, right, someone who maybe we think of that goes to church all the time, or maybe even a pastor of a church, and then later on we find out by his actions that it didn't quite match up. Well, I think that's an accurate definition or understanding of hypocrisy, or what a hypocrite is in the Bible, but it's not quite the definition that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the rest of the Gospels. The definition of a hypocrite that Jesus gives us is not one guy who says one thing and then does a bad thing. It's actually the guy who does only good things. The guy who does all good things, but then the heart behind those good things is bad. So... What I think the first half of chapter 6 is, Jesus is basically, he's giving us a sermon, right, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's going to give us three sermon illustrations. So 
You know what a sermon illustration is? I just gave you one, the God's Titans. Well, Jesus is going to give us three examples of what I think he's talking about. Why He's comparing someone who lives for the praise of men rather than the praise of God or the acceptance, approval of God. So the God's Titans, maybe they were just out for selling T-shirts and getting their booking fee, but it seemed like the guy was really enjoying some 15 to 18-year-olds screaming his name and clapping and yelling for him. And he seemed to really get a lot of approval, acceptance, satisfaction in some kids screaming his name. He was living for the approval, the acceptance, the praise of men rather than the praise of God. And I think that Jesus is going to give us three now sermon illustrations for making that comparison. So let's start here. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. And again, we've been doing this every week, but we're going to try to answer the three questions. Can you guys remember what these questions are? Nathan, this, you, Nathan gets to answer two questions. So this is one. Are you sure you want to blow it on this one? Yes, you, you already answered. You already, you already said yes. Okay, so, who, so what's the first question? Who are we? What's the next? Ah, no, that was your one. Yeah. Yeah, who ought we become and how do we get there? Okay, so Nathan, you only get one more. Make it good. All right, um, all right, so one through four. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Did you hear that? They're, they're doing good things. They're, they're giving to the needy, but they're hypocrites. They do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who gives in secret will reward you. Okay, so who are we? I think Jesus is telling us that we are people who need, long for, desire the affirmation and praise of other people for our identity and our acceptance. This is something that we just will stop at no end to get people to say, hey, you're all right, or hey, we really like you. I think Jesus is pointing this out to us. So, giving to the needy. This is an illustration of this. Giving to the needy has always been important to, the God, to God. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, he's always urging his people to take care of widows and orphans. That, are peop- that is people who can't provide for themselves. So this, was, this has always been important. This, and again, this is a good thing that these Pharisees are doing. They're giving to the needy. But what's their motivation for giving to the needy? Now, the picture he's painting is pretty ridiculous. It's like if you were walking down the street in like downtown Albuquerque and there's a, a guy sitting on the side of the road with a sign asking for money. It's as if instead of just like handing him a dollar or something and keep walking, it's like you pulled out a megaphone out of your pocket and you set it to the siren so that everybody sees, hey, look at Nathan giving some money to this guy. And it's, that's ridiculous, right? You would say, what the heck is he doing? Like, he doesn't care about this needy guy. He's just calling attention to himself. And this is seemingly what the Pharisees are doing. I'm reminded of a, a couple of years back, we spent a Christmas vacation with my parents in the Dallas area. 
flipped on the local news a couple days before Christmas, and there was a guy who decided that he was going to go to a gas station and give, or he was going to buy, like, the first 50 or 100 people who drove through, he was going to buy their gas. And it, he was only there for, like, an hour or an hour and a half. So it wasn't, he wasn't there long enough to, like, cause a commotion. It seems as if a couple of news stations were given a little tip that he might be there, and this might be a good story. But who would know that he was going to do this other than my guess is himself. So it seems as if he called the local ABC syndicate and said, hey, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be buying people's gas. It'll be a great story. So the news is there. And sure enough, 50 or 100 people get their gas tank bought unexpectedly. And, oh, he's our Christmas angel. What a great guy. He, it's a Christmas miracle, right? God bless us, everyone, right? And, and, but yet, it seems as though this guy was just causing this commotion so that he could walk into work on Monday and everybody could say, hey, man, I saw you in the news. Man, what a great guy you are. God bless us, everyone, right? And then, but a week later, my guess is people forgot that. If I saw the guy walking down the street, I wouldn't remember him. This was a couple years ago. So Jesus says that this guy already has his reward. What does that mean? He says, uh, in the end of verse 2, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. You guys have any thoughts on this? So the guys that are, you know, sounding a trumpet, sounding the, the siren on their megaphone before they get to the needy, they've received their reward. What do you think this might be? So you said it, but what is it? What, is, what was his reward on earth that he was concerned about? Yeah. Jesus is saying, if this is all you want, people to praise you, then you've got it. You, you got it. You, you get what you want. I've titled this sermon, You Get What You Want. If that's all you want, the praise, acceptance, approval of men, then you can have it. And Jesus is going to show us that ultimately... That's not much to want. That's not, your desires are pretty small here. So if, you, if praise of men is what you want most, then you'll get it. But this is who we are. We are people, like I said, who need and desire the affirmation, the acceptance, the praise of others for our identity, for our approval. And I do this. Even preparing this sermon, I can try to think of funny things so you guys laugh. And I... So you guys will all think, hey, man, he's a great youth minister. He's a really funny teacher, right? Instead of thinking about how I can really care for you and how you guys need the gospel, how you need to believe in Jesus. And this can be a tendency of mine to want even your or your parents' acceptance, approval. My guess is I'm not alone in this. Think about how you're standing in front of your closet in the morning wondering what to wear. My guess is... As often, often the case is, you're not thinking about uh, just what might keep you warm that day, but what might look good to those who are going to see you in the hallway. Whose attention might I attract by wearing this today? Or no one just takes a picture of each other today without thinking about first how it might appear to others on Facebook, right? 
You can't just roll out of bed with no makeup on or with your hair unkept because everyone's going to see it, right, if you get your picture taken. We don't just live just in a bubble anymore. Everyone sees everything that we do because of Facebook, which I think isn't necessarily a good thing, by the way. Uh, and so we, even just the simple thing of like taking a picture with our friends, right, it has to be, I got to look good because everybody's going to see this. Who might see this picture, right? So this is who we are. Everything that we do is based on how others might approve of us, right? So who is Jesus calling us to become? Who ought we become? He says, uh, thus when you give to the needy, don't sound the, the trumpet, but uh, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So what does this mean? You guys have any thoughts? What does this mean? How is this possible? How can my left hand not know what my right hand is doing? Nathan, do you want to blow it on this one? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I read someone this week who said that perhaps the point that Jesus is making is that true righteousness doesn't have any vanity, any calculation, no self-congratulation, no ego. So when I do something good for someone or give to the needy or whatever the thing may be, it's not how can this get me glory, it's how can God get glory from this. Because look at this. Remember when we went through the salt and light passage two weeks ago. Jesus says in 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It seems as though we're in contradiction here, right? In chapter 5, Jesus says, make sure that everyone sees your good works. But then in chapter 6, he says, make sure you keep it a secret. So how can this be? Well, why do we want people to see our good works in chapter 5? You guys have that open, 16? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that what? And give glory to whom? Right. So I think we can use 516 to interpret how we interpret chapter 6. That people see our good works so that God might get glory, not ourselves. So we don't have to say that anytime we do a good work, it must be a secret. So let's say one of you guys move a year from now, and I want to come help you and move everything into the truck and move it to the new house. I don't have to wear a ski mask so you don't know who it is that's helping you, right? No, I don't think that's the point Jesus is trying to make. He's just saying true righteousness doesn't have any congratulation, no calculation, no ego. We're to people, we are to become people who value and seek the approval, the praise and glory of God rather than the praise and glory of ourselves. Okay, so then he gives us our second illustration here. Praying, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? Praise of men. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, who are we? Same thing. People who need and desire the affirmation of others for our identity. And we don't do this exactly like the Pharisees, how we stand on the corner of a synagogue and pray aloud so that everyone can hear us. But answer me this question. How many of you have ever prayed aloud and said something really, really smart, really theologically snappy, right? So that other people might say, wow, man, that guy's got it together. That guy really knows his Bible, right? My guess is if you've prayed aloud, you've all done this. Do we, can I get an amen? Can I get a confession? Yes, yes, we've done this, yes. I'm reminded of a couple of years ago, Around Christmas time, my mom's family always has this big Christmas Eve gathering, and I had just finished this class on the book of Matthew in seminary, and I had, you know, obviously taken apart many passages of the book of Matthew in Greek. I understand it, I understood it very well. So being the seminary student, or now seminary graduate, I, or by the way, my aunt back here, B.L., they're visiting from Denton. She's also a seminary student. When we have a family gathering, my dad's side, one of us inevitably gets asked to pray. But on my mom's side, I get asked to pray. And so I'm, I'm praying aloud uh, in this Christmas season that we would not stay far from you, Lord Jesus, like uh, King Herod and the scribes and the Pharisees who knew of you but didn't approach you in worship as the true king. But Father, may we come humbly like the shepherds and well, whatever. I, the only reason I was saying these words is so people would say, wow, look at that seminary student. He knows his Bible, right? And while the words that I was praying might have actually been good, might have actually summoned others to actually worship Jesus as king, as Messiah, the heart behind it was totally rotten. I wanted people to say, wow, he's got it together, which is exactly what I wanted. Jesus said, my reward, I got it. It's all I wanted. So you, you get what you want. Jesus says that many words are unnecessary, right? He says in verse 8, do not be like them. They're muttering all these phrases. For your father knows what you need before you even ask him. The words are not necessary. God does not listen to flowery words. He listens to a humble, contrite heart. God hears the heart, not the voice. So again, these guys are doing what is good. They're praying. They're giving to the needy. But they're hypocrites, Jesus says, because they only con they're only concerned about the praise and acceptance of others. Self-glorification, self-worship, rather than God-glorification, God-worship. So who ought we become? Do we have to pray in secret like this, what Jesus says? Must we never pray aloud here together? Well, Jesus prays in front of his disciples. In Acts, the church and disciples pray corporately together, and Paul even encourages, to, 
encourages us to pray aloud together. But I don't think we have to just pray in a little prayer closet. Right? I don't think Jesus is being literal here again. I think he's just saying we are to be concerned with God's name, God's glory and honor rather than our own. And that's why he gives us this model prayer, this Lord's Prayer. I wish we had time to spend a whole sermon just on this prayer, but we don't. But I want to say, say just a couple quick things about this prayer. Is that, again, this is a sermon illustration. This is a model prayer for us. There's nothing magical about this prayer that we say 50 times and that God somehow gives us favor for it. Remember, it's kind of ironic that this prayer has become something like that when Jesus says in verse 7, do not heap up empty phrases. Right? These are not empty phrases. It's a heart behind it that seeks God to get glory and honor rather than our own. So we're people who care more about God's approval than man's approval. Okay, then lastly, this fasting part. Verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, has anybody fasted anything before? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that we can all praise you. But why, why do we fast? Yeah, so it's not just like abstaining from something and like sacrificing something. It's actually not just abstaining from something, but turning to something. So turning our thoughts. When we fast from food, we think about the times that we're hungry. We turn to God and recognize that he is our dependence. He is our sustainment. What, what else? Anybody think of any other reasons to fast? It's a great time of self-discipline if you're really hungry, but we're fasting today, and we walk by, and there's a bag of ruffles. Ooh, that looks good. Ooh. Right? But we say, no, I'm fasting. And then that discipline that we've created right there can translate to other parts of our life. Right? And food, water is not the only way we can fast. Think about maybe fasting from Facebook for a week. Right? I'm serious. Think about how much your life would change if you didn't think about what you had to post on Facebook that week. Or fasting from TV and using that time in the evening or video games or whatever else it is, using that time to pray, to read, to gather with other believers. Fasting from the radio in the car so that we can use that time to pray. So, if you're convinced that you should fast, Jesus seems to be saying when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, just like Giving to the poor and praying, don't do it to be noticed. So what does he say that we do? Who are we? We, we typically want to disfigure our faces so that their fasting may be seen by others, right? So we say, we, if we're fasting food or something or whatever it may be, uh, we look really, oh, somebody comes up, hey, Nathan, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. I'm just really hungry. Why are you so hungry? Oh, I'm fasting. 
I love God a lot, and I really think, you know, he's commanded us to. He didn't say if you fast, but when you fast, so I'm, I'm fasting, um, right? Or I think it's really funny when, you know, a lot of people, I haven't been here for an Easter season yet, so I don't know if people do the whole Lent thing, but uh, I think it's really funny when people say, make a big flowery Facebook post saying, I'm fasting Facebook uh, for the next 40 days, or I'm fasting chocolate, so excuse my moodiness, like, for the next 40 days, or whatever, you know, things like that. And I don't know their motives, but it seems as though we're just fasting something just to be noticed, so everybody would say, hey, man, that guy's really seriously righteous, you know? Uh, so, again, the elevation, the worship of the self, rather than people being pointed to glory and what God has done. So who ought we become instead? Jesus is saying, anoint your head and wash your face. Why does he say that? I think he's just saying, be hygienic. Don't do anything when you're fasting that you wouldn't normally do on any other day so that people don't notice you. If all that you're seeking is people's praise and approval, then you have your reward. God isn't concerned about other people praising you. We're we're to become people who care more about God glorification than self-glorification. So what's the problem with this, though? What's the problem with only caring about the praise of men rather than the praise of God? What's, what's, so, what's, the, what's the big deal? Well, I think there's two things. One, just like we read in Isaiah earlier with the guy who makes the idol, it's just pretty silly, right? It's fleeting. This is what James talks about, what Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes. It's just here one day and gone the next. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the show or the movie or the book of Friday Night Lights. Um, but one thing that I really appreciate about, appreciate about that show or book or movie is that they seem to have really honed in on the fleeting praise of men. That these high school boys can be gods in a small town for four years, more likely two or three. And everyone knows them, everyone worships them. And then they graduate, or God forbid they have a terrible knee injury or something like that, and the praise is done. The only reason people care about them, worship them, praise them, is because they fulfill some, I don't know, small town Texas desire to worship high school football. So it's fleeting. It's gone. All right, I want to do a little experiment here. I want everyone to raise your hand if you can tell me the first names of both of your biological parents. Hopefully all of us, okay. How many of you can, keep your hands raised, name the first names of all of your, all four of your grandparents? Okay, lost a few, but how many of you can, keep your hands raised, can, Name all eight great-grandparents. First names. Yeah? You're not lying? Okay. Well, we have, okay, we have two. Okay, all right, well, let's, let's do great-grandparents then, all 16 of them. Okay, I didn't think so. All right, so we had one, two people who can name all eight first names of their great-grandparents. Do you realize that your great-grandparents were living less than 100 years ago, most likely? That means 
I don't want to be a downer here, but I'm going to be. That means in less than 100 years, no one will remember your name. Is that, is that, like, is that like a punch in the stomach to you? Uh, I hope it isn't, but I kind of hope it is. Right? I'm, the point I'm trying to make is the praise of men is fleeting. It's here one day and gone the next. It is just, like James says, just a blade of grass that just burns up and withers. Is our life here and gone. If all we are living for is the praise of men, people to worship us, to give us approval and acceptance, Jesus seems to be saying, that's dumb. That is so fleeting. Why would you want that? It's here and gone. Here and gone. Jesus says, you get what you want. If that's all you want, and that's a pretty low standard. So it's fleeting. But I think the bigger problem is that, just like we read in Isaiah, is that the praise of men, us seeking the praise of men, is really idolatry. We talked about this a little bit before, about this idea of heart idolatry. So while we're not actually making a, a little statue that we bow down and worship to, have you ever thought about that we worship things that are other than God, and these are actually idols? So what are the things that we worship? We worship our success, like what college we might get into, or the grades that we make every semester, or if we made an A on that test, or if we scored 26 points in this basketball game, or scored three goals, or made first-year orchestra, or whatever it is, we want people to say, wow, you're really good at that, right? We worship this. We long for people to say, wow, that was great. We worship relationships, namely of the opposite sex, right? But we worship, we long for people to be in close relationships so that people can say, wow, you're really great. We long for that. We want it. We worship it. We want approval, success, independence. We worship this. Don't bother me, man. How dare you? Right? We long for this. And most, most of all, we worship just ourselves, our comfort, whatever. It's easier to be God than to love and serve God, right? These are the things that we worship. And the problem is, not only is that worship kind of unfulfilling, unsatisfying, but really, you, know, you guys know what this word is? It's treason. What's this word? What's treason mean? Yeah. Yeah. Betray who you follow. Who's the, who's the most famous traitor or treasoner in American history? Benedict Arnold, right? He sold us out. He sold us out to the British. How dare he, right? And a traitor is nearly in every world government in the history of man is executed. Because what he's doing is he's saying, I will not sit under your authority as a country over me, as a government over me. I will not, I willingly choose to not sit under your rules any longer. So I'm going to actively try to overthrow it to rebel against it. Do you guys see how 
our sin, our worship of the self, is kind of like this. How our treason is saying to our king, I will not sit under your rules any longer. Have you guys seen the movie First Night? Richard Gere and Sean Connery. Sean Connery is from Scotland, and Richard Gere is an American. It's about Camelot, so I don't really know what's going on there. But um, <laughs> the bad guy in this movie is Maligant, and he was a knight of the round table back in the day under Arthur. He had everything that he needed. He had a king who cared for him, provided for him, gave him all that he needed. And then at the end, Maligant leads a rebellion against King Arthur. Why would he do this? At the end, he tells Arthur he basically grew, grew tired of submitting to him. He grew tired of submitting to someone else's authority and decided that he should be the authority. He was going to overthrow the king and become the king, right? So we tend to think about our sin, our worship of the self, our worship of success and approval as just some bad habits that we need to clean up, but it's really an active rebellion against the king, the good king. We're saying, I will no longer sit under your rule, your glory any longer, but I will live for my glory, my honor. And I will overthrow, overthrow you and do my best to overthrow your kingdom. This is the same problem as Adam and Eve. Same problem of Maligant. Our sin is a kingship problem where we say, we will not sit under your kingdom, but I want to further my kingdom. Our sin is a worship problem of that king. So not bad habits. So how do we get there? We've done who are we and who ought we become in all three of these, but how do we get there? How do we become this person who is more concerned about God glorification and self-glorification? Well, the answer is what Ryan gave us in the first service, which I hope you guys heard. Repenting and believing. What does repent mean? Turn away from. So we don't just turn away from our sin and our idolatry, but we turn to something. We believe in Jesus as the good king. So there's a first time for this for every new Christian where we recognize that the idols, we recognize the idols that we're worshiping. We realize that these idols aren't worthy of our worship, whether it's ourself or success or approval. How we're sinning against God by replacing the worship that is due to him, worshiping other things. And we turn from them to worship Jesus who actually does satisfy, who isn't fleeting, we realize and believe that Jesus forgives us of our sin, of our treason, of our idolatry. And then he gives us a new identity. He gives us his righteousness. So if you haven't done this, I'm talking to everyone here. Just because you've come to DSC your entire life, because you've grown up in children's ministry and have been coming to this every Sunday, you couldn't care less. If you don't worship Jesus. If you don't trust and rest in what he's done for you. So if you haven't done this, do it. Repent from your idolatry and believe in what Jesus has done for you. There's a first time for this. If you haven't done it, I'm pleading with you. Not just a one-time prayer or something, but a life that begins to live for God's glory rather than our own. But this is also the life of the Christian life. This is the case for your parents who have been Christians for decades for your grandparents, and hopefully for you as you mature into a more mature Christian believer, that we recognize more frequently the idols that we worship, and we turn from them over and over, daily, minute by minute. God, 
I repent of how I've been worshiping myself rather than you. I believe in you, King Jesus. So this is the course of your entire life. Repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, believe. And so we don't have any breath in our lungs any longer. I want to close with this. I decided not to teach completely out of the Jesus Storybook Bible today, but I wanted to read you this. This is how Sally Lloyd-Jones interprets the Lord's Prayer. I'll circle back with this and end on it um, for kids. And some people are a little put off by, she calls God Daddy. Um, and some people think that's a little bit too, too familial. I'm, I'm not so sure, but listen to this. She says, hello, Daddy. We want to know you, to be close to you. Please show us how. Make everything in the world right again and in our hearts, too. Do what is best, just like you do in heaven. And please do it down here, too. Please give us everything we need today. Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you. Forgive us just as we forgive other people when they hurt you. Rescue us. We need you. We don't want to keep running away and hiding from you. Keep us safe from our enemies. You're strong, God. You can do whatever you want. You're in charge. Now, forever, and for always. We think you're great. Amen. Yes, we do. And then she says, you see, Jesus was showing people that God would always love them with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. So they didn't need to hide anymore or be afraid or ashamed that they could stop running away from God and they could run to him instead as a little child runs into her daddy's arms. This is the picture that we get of God in the parable of the prodigal son where he is the father who runs to us and welcomes us, forgiving us of our rebellion against him and says, come home. I love you. Welcome you. You don't have to hide or run any longer. Be my son. Be my daughter. So the God of the universe, the high king of heaven, is also our welcoming father. Slow to anger, quick to forgive, and faithful to love his children. So repent, believe in him, and rest in a good father's arms.